First Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, um, thank you for the opportunity to be able to open this holy book and to see the truth that you have given to us. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. And Lord, many in here this morning, they're saved. They have been brought to you through, through your blood, and we thank you and praise you for that. Lord, but maybe there's somebody in here this morning that if they were to die today, they are not sure of their eternal soul. They're not sure where they'd spend eternity. Lord, help them to see today your purpose and, and the plan for which you came into this world. And Lord, I pray that um, you'd help us to understand the scriptures this morning. We ask in your name. Amen. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in, in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And my question for you this morning is, what did it take to bring you to God? What did it take to bring you to God? You know, what this verse here says that Christ brought us to God. Now, to be brought to something... It simply implies that we at one time were separated. Um, it, it suggests that something took me away from God if I have to be brought back to God. And what is it that has separated us from God? What is it that took us away from God? Well, Isaiah 59 two says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. And, you know, in a country like this, with churches all across the country, this morning there are prayers that are being made to God. There are uh, churches, quote-unquote, that are having services um, in the name of Christ. And yet, because they have not been brought to God, it's going to fall. That Those prayers are going to fall on deaf ears. God says, your iniquities, your sins have hid my face from you, and you are separated from me. Uh, Romans 3.12 says, they are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And this morning, I want you to know every single one of us has a need to be brought to God. Man is separated from God because of his sin. And I love uh, uh, this man, I am Holdman. He was pastor of First Baptist Church in New York City. He has this in his book called Morality or Immortality. And he is, the basic premise of the book is, did Jesus Christ come to bring us morality or immortality? And he says, I knew an aged mother whose son was condemned to die. In a fit of anger, he killed a fellow man. Because she was poor and could not afford to go otherwise, she traveled on foot over the hills to the little country town to visit him in the prison before the fatal day. She loved him with an unfailing love. No matter though he had grown to manhood, he was still the child she had carried in her arms. Still the boy who had once stood on her knee stood at her knee, the boy upon whom she poured out all the loving mother's tender and unselfish care. No matter what others might say of him, no matter how vile and wicked they might think him, how bitter they might be against him, he was her boy, bone of her bone and flesh of her flesh. She loved him still. When others deserted him, she remained true, and if anything, more loving and tender than ever. Her love had brought her on her trembling feet to the door of his cell. She looked at him, she looked at him through the blinding tears and could only say in a broken voice, Oh, my boy. Her love was great enough and strong enough to break down the iron bars and bring him forth. Her love was wondrous enough to take him by the hand, cover his face with kisses, and lead him back to the shelter of the home and make it a resting place for his troubled soul. 
Why then did she not break down those bars? Why did she not open the prison door and bid him come forth and follow her home to life of days and peace? Why did she lean her head old and gray against the bars and weep through her straining tears, look at him, and with choking sobs repeat, My boy, my boy. The answer is clear and plain. Her love was great enough. Her love, great as it was, could not deny the claim nor set aside the law. The law had a claim against her son. And God looks down at sinful man and says, I love you with an everlasting love and tells Israel, Oh, that, uh, that I could have gathered you as a hen under my wings, uh, that I could have done that for you, and ye would not. And God stands and there is a law, the law of sin and God's holiness that has separated us from Him. The claim must be met and satisfied first. This morning, what did it take to bring you to God? Three things that it took to bring us to God. Number one, I want you to see the suffering of Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 18, he says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. I don't know about you, but I think most of us in here, we don't really like pain. Wade uh, this week or last week had a softball player that was pitching for him and pitched the ball, cracked, ball came off the bat, hit this girl square in the face. Now, I had left a half inning before that, so it was good because I heard my wife explaining to her mom what happened and blood was spurting all over the place. And I'm like, (laughs) you know, so it was a good thing I left. I was gone. I didn't see any of it. But this poor girl, wait, would you say that back if she's been suffering this week? Um, she has, you know, things broken uh, on her face and just, I think, you know, it was basically everything except her eye socket. Seriously, you know, her cheekbones and that had been broken. And she's been back in and out of the hospital and, um, you know, just bloody nose out of nowhere during school. I mean, this girl, she's suffering. It's, it's not fun. And not only do we not like pain, we don't like suffering. You know, we don't like to see other people suffer especially people that we love. Um, I was reading the introduction to a book this week. It was about um, some Navy SEALs, and this one guy uh, made it back home, and all of his other teammates were killed in the, in the line of duty. And he made it a personal mission of his own to go and to tell these families how their sons had sacrificed their lives and had done a great job defending our country and our freedom. And he said this last one, the, the mother said, did he suffer? And, and he lied to her, and he said, no, he, it was quick, he, instantaneous. And he said, I had to tell her that because that's what my buddy told, told me to tell her. You know, I, you that are parents in here, you cannot imagine having a child suffer. And, and I say you can't imagine. Some of you, you've gone through that, whether it be physical suffering or maybe a car accident or a sickness. Um, uh, you know, you have experienced that suffering. And, and you as a parent, you'd wish that more, you'd obviously wish that upon yourself before your child you wish that you could take that for them. You know, we don't like suffering ourselves, and we don't like to see people that we know and love suffer. But the suffering of Christ was one part of what it took to bring us to God. How did Christ suffer? Well, in his life, Christ suffered in his life. You know, we focus a lot on the death, and we're going to look at that here in a moment. But Christ suffered in his life. I'm going to give you a few verses here out of John. John 1.11 says, He came unto his own, And his own accepted him with open arms and they celebrated him. He came into his own and his own received him not. 
You know, Jesus Christ, He created this universe. He created the stars and the planets. And when He became uh, uh, robed in flesh without ceasing to be God, 100% man, 100% God, laying aside that glory, and He comes and did the grass reject the Lord? Did the sun cease to shine on the Lord? No. His creation rejoiced at His coming. But His own people, they rejected Him. Can you imagine the suffering of the Creator to create a people and say, I love you with an everlasting love. And you see over and over again in the Old Testament, His love for His people. And He comes to them, the Son of Man, the Son of God, trying to tell them the truth, and they reject Him. He suffered in His life. John eight forty one says, They said unto Him, We be not born of fornication. He had tried to tell them, He was trying to show them that they were sinners. And He said, You are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. And they said, We have one God, even uh, Abraham is our father. And He said, We be not born of fornication. Excuse me? The virgin-born, perfect, holy Son of God. Having to put up with people that you understand what they're calling His mother. Don't talk about my mom. And not only were they talking about his mother, but they were spitting in his face saying, you're not the virgin-born son of God. Perfect little Jesus boy. I wasn't born of fornication. My dad didn't have a wrong relationship with my mom. My mom didn't go out and run around. You understand the suffering that he went through? Put it, is there somebody, you know, now don't raise your hand. But how many you work with somebody? You just, it takes about this much and you're done with them. You know? Can you imagine in that situation, you and I, how quickly we'd have been done with those people and just gone, all right, you know, it wouldn't have been, you know, Jesus, man. He could have like called stars from heaven like, and just like blew and burned them all up. I mean, there's some pretty cool stuff that he could have done. But you know what? He suffered in his life. He suffered in his life. John 17, 5 says, And now, O Father, glorify me with thine own self, which, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. We cannot understand, because we haven't seen it yet, all of the glory that Jesus Christ laid aside when He came to this earth. Um, in Matthew 8.20, the, the Scripture says, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay His head. He had no home. The time that He was going about there ministering for those three and a half years, He did not have a place to lay His head. So He suffered in His life, but He also suffered in His death. Look with me at Matthew chapter 27. Hold your place there in 1 Peter. We'll be back. Matthew chapter 27. The Lord suffered in His death. You know, part of what makes suffering even more intense is when you suffer and you didn't do anything wrong. You know, the boss comes in railing at you and you're like, whoa, that wasn't even me. Or something happens in, in your life or in your situation, and you go, that, I didn't do that. that was, it wasn't my fault. That makes it that much more intense when you suffer for something that you weren't even guilty of. Matthew 27, verse 22. We'll start there, and we'll read quite a few verses here. The Scripture says, Pilate saith unto him, What shall I do then with this Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. 
So Christ here becomes a political pawn. They were passing him back and forth between leaders. In verse 25, it says, Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So Pilate had his time with Christ. He scourged him. And then goes on, verse 27, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him. And they took the reed and smote him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to be crucified. The suffering of our Lord during the crucifixion is unparalleled and unmatched. In every way possible, these soldiers wanted to make fun of Jesus for claiming to be a king. They said, you have a king? Well, a king has a robe. And they put this robe on him after he had been scourged. How many, you guys know, I mean, when you get a scab and it opens up and it's, I'll try and be quick here. It opens up and it's all, you know, pussy and it's got, you know, blood in there. And then you get some kind of clothing on it and it dries up and then you pull that clothing away and it reopens those sores. Pilate had scourged him and they said, you're a king. Well, a king has a robe and they put this robe on him. How long was it before they took that robe off? I imagine that there was a time that as time went by here that those sores became to began to clot against that garment and as they stripped it back off of him reopened all of that again and they said a king a king has a crown oh you think you're a king and they plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head can you imagine the vengeance with which they put that on his head and they said a crown oh you have to have a scepter if you're a crown and they took this reed and they beat him with it and then gave it to him and laughed at him then they began to bow before him and say, Oh, you're king. Okay. Hail King Jesus. As the suffering Savior was simply suffering to bring them to God. He suffered in his death. But notice this. Hebrews 9.28. We won't go there. says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. How many times did Jesus Christ have to be crucified? One time. One time. He does not suffer continually through a mass. He, does not, he is not crucified to us again and again. The Bible says He died one time to pay for your sins and for my sins. So His suffering was in His life. His suffering was in His death. Jesus Christ <laughs> suffered to bring you and I to God. And then secondly, notice the righteousness of Christ. It took the righteousness of Christ to bring us to God. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, the Scripture says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. The just for the unjust. Um, no, and Jacob, why don't you guys come up here real quick for me. If I had here, now sometimes, you know, as a kid, I remember being in Sunday school, and this was so young, I don't even remember what the teacher's name, I mean, it's a long time ago. But I was in Sunday school, and I remember, if you confess your sins, Jesus forgives you and washes them away. And they're like, we wrote some sins up on the chalkboard, and we pretended like Jesus forgave us, and so we washed it away, and we wrote it, and there was nothing on the chalkboard, and I thought, man, it's good to be clean and saved in Jesus, right? So, so much of the time I spent thinking, man, Jesus washed my sins away and now there's nothing on the board. Well, it's partly true, 
but it goes a little further than that. The just for the unjust. So I've got some paper here with some stuff written on it. And actually, um, on this one, we've got, let's just say that this said, um, I have kept the Ten Commandments. I have always followed God. And everything that you could ever do that was good with no bad stuff on it at all, that's what's on this paper. All right? Come here, Jacob. Now, like, the stuff on here, let's say we listed a whole bunch of sins. Like, you got mad when you didn't get the video game you wanted. You got, no, <laughs> let's say you got kill, uh, murder, lust, uh, thievery. I mean, there's, this is all full of the bad stuff that you've done in your life, all right? So now we've got, go ahead and hang on to that. We've got the just, who he does everything he's supposed to. You're a good boy, Noah. You're like your mom, aren't you? Um, <laughs> and then you've got the unjust, all right? You're like your dad. I know. Yeah. <laughs> You've got the unjust. He's got on his paper all this good stuff. And so he comes home and says, Mom and Dad, look. And Andy looks at this and goes, Wow, you didn't hit your sister today. Um, you uh, did what your teacher asked you to do. And he looks at all the good stuff that he's done and he says, Boy, you've done a great job. Not only a great job, you have done a perfect job. There's no bad stuff on this. Good job. He comes home. Ah! <laughs> you got all this bad stuff written in he says, what is this? And he looks at all the sin in his life. Do you think he's going to go out and get ice cream that day? No, not a chance. If I said now, we all get to go on a field trip today, and if you have a paper that's full of all the good stuff and not one bad thing on it, you get to go on the field trip. Well, Noah's sitting there going, oh, cool, I get to go on the field trip. Jacob's going, But if I took and I said, boys, and Noah came to Jacob and they worked out a little deal and he said, hey, hey, Jacob, oh, you're, you're a step ahead of me here, aren't you? He's like, take this, please. If Noah said, I don't want to go on the field. No, if he said, look, I want you to go on the field trip instead of me. And they were able to switch papers. Now I look at Jacob's and I go, what'd you do? Oh, man, you got, this is perfect. I look at Noah's and I go, acting like your dad again, huh? You see, when God looks at us in Christ, He doesn't see a blank sheet. He sees a perfectly fulfilled law to the T. Because that is the only righteousness that God will accept. Perfection, holiness, without blot, without error. When He says, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. How many iniquities did it take? Just one. The, the, the law says in James, if you keep the whole law and yet you offend in one point, you are guilty of all. So what did it take to bring us to God? It took the suffering of Christ, but it also took the righteousness of Christ. I cannot imagine what it's like to try and go a day without sinning because I'm a sinner. But Jesus went day after day after month after year watching in the culture in which he lived, perfectly fulfilling the righteousness of God. Thanks, guys. You can be seated. So when God looks at you in Christ, he sees not a blank sheet, but Christ's righteousness. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So it took the righteousness of Christ. Now, I want to spend a couple of minutes here. It says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, 
the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Jesus was the one that suffered. Jesus is the one who is just. He is the only one with the authority to bring me to God. He's the only one. You're saying He's the only one? He's the only one. The church can't bring me to Jesus. A spiritual leader can't bring me to Jesus. Money can't bring me to Jesus. A good life can't bring me to God. It took the suffering of Christ and it took a, the righteousness of Christ to bring me to God. Why did Jesus suffer? Why was He just? Well, He's just because that's who He is. Why did He suffer? Did He suffer to help the poor? Did He suffer to bring food and clothing to mankind? Did He suffer for social justice? He suffered for sins that He might bring us to God. Um, you know, it, it, it's been a blast working with the, the journal and, and going through this article. This I am Haldeman, man. He was a man. And here's the deal. Man, some of the social justice stuff is popping its head back up in our day. And I'm reading this stuff from 1920. I'm going, there's nothing new under the sun. What? He's saying the same words. Combating that idea. Listen to what he says. In faith, in, let me. Mm. Neil Cavuto had a nun on like 30 minutes before the congressman went in to sign a health care bill. And he said, would Jesus have been for this? And she said, yes, Jesus was there to help the poor. And Okay. Um, it's all the more time we're going to spend on that. But I, it, no, it's, it's going on in our day. And Haldeman's here says, in face of these assertions, it is well to raise the question, was Jesus Christ a socialist? Was he a reformer? And I'm reading that going, is this guy still alive? And he like died a long time ago. I answer in the negative. He was neither a socialist nor a reformer. If he were a reformer, why did he not lift up his voice in protest and accusation against governmental corruption? Oh, yeah. The government under which he had been born and under which he continued to live was the government of Imperial Rome. Do you think there was some corruption going on in Imperial Rome? He had a great opportunity to protest against war. In Rome, a soldier went to the army not for three or five years, but for 12 or 15 and even 20 years. War was the trade of emperors and kings. War was the business of life. Each day, Jesus could hear the tramp of legions. He knew they were going to or returning from the fields of slaughter. He never raised his voice against war. If he were a reformer, why didn't he not lift up his voice against slavery? You say, oh, you think slavery is good? Whole other issue, man. But when Jesus Christ saves you, he changes your heart. And you don't want to put people into slavery. It takes a change in the heart, not a change in the head. If a reformer, why did he not take up the question of the saloon? If he were a socialist, why did he not take up the issue of labor and wages? I saw some people coming back from Dayton yesterday striking. I'm going, it's 11% unemployment in Ohio, and you're striking. Okay, anyway. He saw the rich living off the unpaid toil of the poor. He saw those who were paid receiving a uh, stipend, toiling from night to night and barely able to keep body and soul together, and yet he raised no word of protest. If he were a socialist, why did he not lift up his voice against poverty, testifying that poverty, as then possessed, was a crime and wealth a robbery? This is amazing. 
Let's drive this home. He had an immense opportunity. A girl who loved him took an alabaster box of costly ointment, poured it out on his feet and head till the whole room was filled with the fragrance of her devotion. Someone suggested that it was a waste. Someone suggested that the ointment might have been conserved, sold for 300 pence and given to the poor. Hmm. Hmm. Who was it? Judas. Huh. The suggestion came from Judas, the thief and betrayer of the Son of God. Judas, the betrayer of Christ, is the only socialist among professed Christians of whom the New Testament gives a record. Jesus Christ came for sins to bring us to God, not to bring social justice and make everything on this planet a better place from which to go to hell. Jesus Christ came to bleed and die for the sins of mankind. All mankind, whether you're white, black, yellow, pink, purple, whether you make zero or whether you make a bazillion dollars a year, Jesus Christ came to bring you to God. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. What was the third thing that it took? It took the suffering of Christ. It took the righteousness of Christ. But it also took the literal death, burial, and resurrection of Christ to bring you to God. You know, what didn't Christ give up? What didn't the eternal God lay aside for you and me? You know, Abraham, man, if, if you're like me, you read the story through of Abraham, and Abraham had the faith to kill his son. He believed God and trusted in that resurrection. But can I tell you, I can imagine that when Abraham came down and the angel stopped him and Abraham took up his son Isaac and they're walking down, he's going from the mountain. After he got attested his faith, he's going, I am so glad I didn't have to do that. I am so glad I didn't have to suffer in that way. You know, Jesus Christ, as he's up on the cross, they say, if you be God, just come down off the cross and show us that you're God. I mean, God can do anything, right, if you're God. Jesus didn't get a timeout. He didn't get the opportunity to come down off the cross because he didn't. He chose not to. He chose to stay there and give everything for you and I so we could be saved. He really died. You know, this swoon theory. And I don't hear so much about it uh, now, but um, look quick, quickly with me at, um, look at Matthew chapter 27. You know, this idea of the swoon theory, the idea that Jesus Christ didn't really completely, he didn't die. He just kind of went unconscious and, you know, the temperature and the atmosphere in the tomb was such that he could have lived through the crucifixion. Um, which, you know, come here, let us do a couple of the things that happened during the crucifixion to you and see if you make it, all right? Um, but scripturally, you know, first of all, the, the Roman soldiers that crucified him, these were trained professionals. Um, you know, I, en- I enjoy shooting firearms. I enjoy that, but I have no military experience. Um, if you wanted me to defend your house or like a Navy SEAL to defend your house, if I were you, I'd pick the Navy SEAL, <laughs> Those guys are trained professionals. You know, we've got our Navy SEALs, like uh, with those Somali pirates captured a couple of people. And I think the Navy SEALs sniped like two or three of them at the same time. I'm not messing with those guys. (laughs) I'm not being a Somali pirate. I'm just saying. Um, 
But Matthew 27, so these Roman soldiers, they were professionals at crucifixion. The guys that crucified Christ, they weren't like, what do we do next? No, they knew what they were doing. They knew how to make it prolonged. They knew how to create the most intense suffering in that moment, try and take that person's life. But we know Christ surrendered his life and submitted the Holy Ghost to God. Matthew 27, verse 62, says, Now the next day they, uh, that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together in a pilot, saying, Sir, we remember that the deceiver said while he was yet alive, After three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulchre be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He is risen from the dead, so the error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch, go your way, make it as... <laughs> this is awesome. The way God writes it, man. Every word's inspired. Make it as sure as you can. <laughs> you can't make it very sure when God wants to accomplish something, right? So they went and made the sepulchre sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. And as you study the culture, man, these Roman centurions would have given their lives to defend the fact that that body was in the tomb. Here's the deal. If you want to disprove Christianity, just show me a body. Show me the dead body of Christ. Do you realize in, within hours they could have produced the body of Christ? They're right there saying, look, if, if we lose that body, they're going to say he rose from the dead. Make it as sure as you can. And God in his infinite wisdom raises Christ, the Bible says, through the Spirit. And the, the, the disciples come to him and they see the angel there and it says, he's not here, he's risen, as he said. So the resurrection of Christ is as sure as the death of Christ. Mark 15, 44 and 45. Look there with me. Mark chapter 15. So we have the testimony here that Pilate sent more soldiers to make sure that they had this watch secured. And then, you know, did Jesus really die? Yeah. And Pilate marveled, um, this is Mark fifteen forty four. and Pilate marveled if he were already dead. It, it, see, the Lord, if you remember, his legs, they didn't have to break them because he was already dead. So he um, died, and Pilate's marveling. He's, that's unusual. And calling unto him the centurion, he asked him whether he had been any while dead. And he, when he knew it of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph comes to Pilate asking for the body. Pilate's going, he's dead already? Where's the centurion? Is he dead? Centurion says, yes, sir, he's dead. I guarantee the centurion knew that Christ was dead. The professionalism, the training of those men, they knew that he was dead. So the death and then the resurrection of Christ. Romans says it this way. Romans 4.25 says that Christ was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. So what did it take to bring you to God? It took the supernatural power of God to raise his son from the dead for you and for me so what did it take you to bring what did it take to bring you to god remember it took the suffering of christ it took the just for the unjust and it took the death and resurrection of our lord let me ask you this morning has christ brought you to god has christ brought you to god or are you trying to get there another way the bible says there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved if Christ isn't the one who brings you to God, then you haven't been brought to God. Let me ask you, have you been brought to God? Man, what is the suffering of Christ? As you remember that, what does that do for your spirit? Does it encourage you to suffer for Him? To suffer for righteousness' sake? And you know, we're talking about suffering in America, right? That's when people at McDonald's don't get our burgers right. You know, But some of you, seriously, you, you have suffered. I talked about it in Sunday school. 
Some of you parents, you have laid out a new course for your family after hearing the preaching of the Word of God and you've made a decision to do this with your family or to do that with your family or to not do this with your family. And you've heard some comments from your family, some comments from people at work, some comments from neighbors, and you have suffered. Man, the suffering of Christ is so much more beyond what we could ever do for Him. Man, let's give back to Him. So the suffering of Christ, the just for the unjust. Do you remember the righteousness of the Lord? Do you trust Christ? Do you trust God that He knows what He's doing? Sometimes it can be hard because you don't see the end. But He is just. He is just. And then the supernatural power of God. You know, God can change us. God can change our homes. He can change our families. He can ignite a revival in our church because He has a supernatural power as we obey Him and follow His Word and submit to Him in obedience. God can do great things in and through you, through his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity, God, that you've shown us in your word today.